ground control. Hey, I'm Sailor. It's another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey, and tonight we will be attempting to pay tribute to a true legend. There's a star waiting in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks he'd blow our minds. There's a star. Yes, we will. And for the listeners that might be new to the show, we sometimes compare two albums from one artist against each other. We discuss, usually argue, and sometimes very professionally debate the merits. And in the end, only one album or artist reigns supreme. That's normally right, Matt. But tonight, we are doing things a little different. We are devoting the show in its entirety to a musical and artistic legend that of Mr. David Bowie. Indeed, Ed. So when I initially began formulating the idea for this podcast, it was at a time when we were losing some of our legends like Prince, Bowie, and Chris Cornell, it seemed so close together. So it was something that we wanted to attempt pretty quickly when we started the podcast to try and carve out some time to discuss these musicians in a series, but it just wasn't coming together. So after close to a year and a half of podcasting together, we felt like we were ready to properly pay our respects to one of the most prolific musical artists of the 20th century. So tonight, We will briefly just discuss what we have in our glasses, and then we're going to move right into the subject pan, because there is a lot to unpack here. And also, I'm kind of excited about this. We should mention, (laughs) oh, hear that giggle? This is a crossover episode. We have none other than Jenny from Pretty Good for a Girl with us tonight. So along with Sailor, that makes it, uh, it kind of evens up the score a little bit for both shows. That's right, girls to the front, right, Sailor? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I don't know. <laughs> Sit down. Yeah. <laughs> to the back, Matthew Bryan. Oh, sorry, that was his middle name. He's in trouble. <laughs> um, before we start talking about the legend, David Bowie, I'd like to know what's everyone drinking tonight? Let's start with you. Uh, who wants to start? Raise your hand. Matt, you start. Someone's raising their <laughs> hand. You're, they're sitting right next to her. That's yeah, right. Exactly. You go. go around. All right. Well, Jenny and I are drinking the same exact thing. Oh, damn it. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I've been kind of cutting back a little bit on the drinking. Not going to lie. Um, but, you know, tonight we opened a Taconic Straight Bourbon Whiskey from New York State. One of those nice Hudson Valley whiskeys that I am so very fond of. And I know, Sailor, you are being a New York uh, person. Yeah, a New York gal. <laughs> a New York gal. Former resident. Are fond, of, are fond of the New York Person. Rise. It sounds like I don't have my own sexuality. Like, <laughs> do I call you a dude, a chick? You're a person. I'm like, Pat. Lost words for two That covers today. it all. Human. It's Pat. <laughs> For those of you old enough to remember that SNL. I remember that. I don't want you look silly to me. Uh, uh, but one of those New York Hudson whiskeys, I know that you're very fond of the the New York Rise in particular. Uh, um, Empire you know, 
Empire Empire Rye, as it's called now. But this was a a bottle that was actually sent to me from Taconic because I had being in the business for a while I had kind of a relationship with one of the guys uh, that excuse me helped run <laughs> a business Can we relationship. Can talk about this off air? A business relationship with um, one hey, of the Kenny, guys. Shut up! If it gets you free whiskey, just take it, will you? With, with one of the guys that. That's what Matt thinks, said. Matt, here's a bottle. Can I finish? Thank you. Uh, with one of the guys that ran the distillery, who actually owns the dog that is pictured on the label. Um, the dog's name is Duchess. Um, and it's, uh, you know, as he described, it's a, it's a bourbon and a rye for the outdoorsy folk. Um, so it's definitely very young. I think this batch is probably not, uh, most likely it's not theirs. I don't know if it's MGP, uh, or not. Uh, but, uh, it's a little, this one's a little bit young, probably needs some more time, pretty green. Uh, but, uh, I just, I just like New York stuff, man. I love it. I love is it. So even as young as it is. What? Is this the distillery that has that has like you can go there and they have a lodge and you can go hunting on the property and all of that? Yes, I believe so. Okay, that's what I thought. Yes. Yeah, I think cool. their whole thing is pretty cool. I'm, I'm yeah. pretty, don't they have like hundreds of acres and it's like a they destination have, point for they do, but they they are all about the the outdoor outdoors life. So right. hunting, camping, and murdering animals. And oh, that's tough. They have a doggy on their, on their label. Oh, so. well, I hope they don't. What kind of dog do you think that is? Some kind of a hunting dog, it's I a, guess. It's like, a, it's like a pointer of some sort, yeah. Ah, of course pointer. it is. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. All right, oh. Ed, what about you? All right, for me tonight, as we had said previously, we are discussing a legend tonight. So I brought out what I feel is another legend in the, uh, the bourbon world. Um, I am drinking a very beloved bottle I have here, Elijah Craig, 12-year, the last mm-hmm. of the age-stated Elijah Craig. Yes. Um, I've got about half a bottle left here, oh, God, and I am that. nursing save. this yes. for all it's worth. Yes. But um, it is such, such beautiful juice. Um, so, Hold that yeah. up again. That color. Look at that color. Yeah, look at that. Have you noticed? Describe That's- the color for the listeners. The so color it's a, it's a is nice dark a deep, amber, right? dark amber. Like a maple syrup. Um, yeah, I'll, well, yeah, a little lighter than a maple syrup, but it's but it's in there. It's close. Um, not like the the light, shiny new penny that the newer ones look like. Um, yeah, it is. It is a sight to behold if you're a bourbon fan. This is the kind of color you like to see. And another one of those um, in that sweet price point, man. Yes. Yes, I think I picked oh, this nice. up. It was it in the uh, yeah the yep. thirty some well, dollar yeah. range. Yep. As is the case, as we've discussed. That's something times. for another discussion. Um, I I I had I can't remember honestly what it was. I t- 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 put two bottles next to each other as I was unpacking some of my bottles, and one was produced. I think I purchased it about five years ago, and another one this year. And the color is different because age statements are dropping off and we're not aging our whiskey as long as we used to. Um, I, I'm curious to see how that's going to play out in the future. But you can definitely notice a difference in the color, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So um, I am actually drinking. I, I After you guys heard my whiskey segment for the week, um, and so I am drinking something from my whiskey segment, which is Wild Turkey Decades, because I felt oh. like it was 
totally appropriate for our sessions. Definitely. I would agree. Mm -hmm. Um, So a a legendary American distillery with um, two now really legendary master distillers. Um, I have had this. This is not the decades from my uncle's wedding. This is actually a bottle from two years before that. So um, this is beautiful stuff. The color is amazing. You know, every once in a while, you know, I, I drink whiskey pretty much every day, maybe just a little dram for health, not like, you know, drinking several glasses. But every once in a while, I just sit there and I go, oh, God, I love the taste of whiskey. Do you ever have that moment where even though it's something you're so used to enjoying, it, I don't know if it's the, what I'm what I happen to be drinking or if it's the moment because we know atmosphere has so much to do with what we're tasting. Yeah. But and I had that moment when I poured this and took this the first sip. Just what a beautiful flavor. So many layers to it, much like the artists we're going to discuss tonight. Now, pardon my ignorance here, but Decades is the same thing as Master's Keep, or are they two separate? So it's Master's Keep Decades, right? So um, it's the, the juice itself is aged for 10 years, but it's gone into um, barrels that are between 10 and 20 years. It's, it's a select- okay, so decades lot of barrels so you've got the decades through the the juice being produced it being aged in the barrels that it goes in okay so decades is part of their master's keep it is yes range okay okay correct yep yep um so and it it really was created to be um uh a tribute to actually master distiller eddie russell who jimmy russell still considers the new guy um, and I think Eddie Russell's been distilling for like, like 30 60 years, years now. old, right? No, oh my God. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's been distilling oh, for 30 like years. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. the kid. I mean, yeah. yeah, he's the kid and he's the new guy. And um, KOTB. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I love that. I love every time Jimmy talks about his son, he still calls him the new, the new guy, that new kid. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, Jimmy's like 200 years old. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So. You guys, I did my best to organize this as succinctly as I could and try to properly cover such a long and interesting career. So please give me some grace here. We do our best to fit everything into what we feel like is an appropriate amount of time that you want to actually listen to us talk. So let's start just right at the beginning. David Robert Jones was born on the 8th of January in 1947 in Brixton, London. As a young boy, David was interested in dancing, singing, music, and acting. Elvis and Little Richard were some of his early musical inspirations. And then his brother introduced him to jazz, and he became very enthusiastic about playing the saxophone after being pretty darn good at the recorder. In school, David studied art, music, and design, including layout and typesetting. In 1962, David was in an altercation that is now famous with his friend George Underwood, George punched him in the left eye during the, a fight over what, uh, what else but a girl. A woman, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> After uh, of course. a series of operations during a four-month hospitalization, Lord, his doctors determined the damage could not be fully repaired. David was left with faulty depth perception and a permanently diluted pupil, which gave a false impression of a change in the iris's color. 
Later on, the color of his eyes would be one of his most recognizable features, of course. Probably one of the best things that happened. <laughs> Absolutely. On. Yeah. Absolutely. It just made him look even more like a magical alien that yes. he is. <laughs> um, so the true story is that the planet that he comes from, everybody, everybody's eyes are not the same color. That's, that's mm. the true story. Um, so anyway, the same year, David formed his first band at the age of 15. They were called the Conrads with a K. It was pretty much straight-up 60s rock. They played local shows and weddings. And uh, the following year, he informed his parents that he was going to be a pop star. Soon, David became frustrated with his bandmates and very limited aspirations. So he left the Conrads and joined another band, the King Bees. So David wrote to a newly successful washing machine entrepreneur named John Bloom and asked him to do for the King Bees what Brian Epstein had done for the Beatles, which was to basically bankroll them. So Mr. Bloom didn't take the offer, but what he did do was refer them to a dude named Leslie Kahn, which led to Bowie's first personal managed contract. That is the beginning of his life, and I am calling him David at this point because I feel like he's not Bowie just yet. Um, I have read, I've read several books written about him um, and watched a lot of documentaries. It was very clear in his early days that he was very musically talented. He, from what other people said, is he could pick up instruments and learn them very quickly and do really interesting things with them quote from one of the documentaries well so, also um he also went by the moniker davy jones oh, until that's coming up that's coming yeah. up not yet not yet all right not yet <laughs> you mean like the pirate from the disney movie no no <laughs> well no <laughs> yes and no okay so once again david found himself unhappy with the king bee's lack of success even though they had released a single. So he left that band also. He changed managers, and he changed bands again. It was also at this time that he became unhappy with his stage name. I mean, there was another Davy Jones out there, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, we're the monkeys. People oh, say we're monkeys. <laughs> I said it might have been like the pirate from the movie. Oh, my God, Matthew. Yeah. Like Davy Jones' locker. You're dating his locker. Yes, yeah. His locker. <laughs> <laughs> Oh so, age gap. Age gap. Okay. So after some soul searching, David decided to rename himself after the 19th century American pioneer named James Bowie and the knife that he made popular, which is called still the Bowie knife. Now with a new stage name, he released a solo single in 1967 and then a full length album, but neither of them charted. This same year, Bowie met dancer Lindsey Kemp and enrolled in his dance class at the London Dance Center. He often said that meeting Kemp was when his interest in his image really blossomed. In January of 1968, Kemp choreographed a dance scene for BBC play, The Pistol Shot. In it, he used Bowie with a dancer named Hermione Farthingale. Mm -hmm. They soon began to date. She played acoustic guitar. And so they decided to form a band together, of course, with another guitarist named John Hutchinson. And for a short time, the trio gave a small number of concerts, 
combining folk, mercy beat, poetry, and mime. Bowie and Farthingale broke up in early 1969 when she went to Norway to take part in a film, and this really affected Bowie. Several of his songs, such as Letter to Hermione and Life on Mars, reference her. Then, on the 11th of July, 1969, Space Oddity, a 7-inch single, was released five days ahead of the Apollo 11 launch and reached the top five in the UK. It became, as we now know, one of Bowie's signature songs and one of his one of four of his songs to be included in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. Bowie's second album followed in November, originally issued in the UK as David Bowie. In the US, it was titled Man of Words slash Man of Music. The fuck? And was reissued internationally in 1972 by RCA Records as Space Oddity. Thank you, RCA. So Bowie then met Angela Barnett in April of 69. They married within a year. Her impact on him was colossal, to say the least, and her involvement in in his career changed his fate, really. Angela's role left Bowie's manager, Ken Pitt, a lot less influence, which he found very frustrating. So now we're at a point where Bowie has established himself as a solo artist with Space Oddity, and he began to sense a lacking of a full-time band for gigs and recording. He said, quote, people that he was looking for people he could relate to personally. He pulled together a group of musicians to play with and to record, and it just wasn't working out. So he fired his manager and replaced him with Tony DeFries, which led to years of litigation. Well, the studio sessions continued, and the result was David Bowie's third album, The Man Who Sold the World, which was released in 1970. This album had a heavy rock sound. With his new backing band, it was a departure from the acoustic guitar and folk rock style established by Space Oddity. In 1971, to promote the record in the U.S., Mercury financed a publicity tour across America in which Bowie was interviewed by radio stations and the media for two months. A lot of these interviews are available on YouTube, I will tell you, so do the Googles. Um, He was really playing up his androgynous look at the time. He wore dresses to most of the interviews, and the critics absolutely loved it. Well, let me guess, though. Most of the interviews were asking him about his sexuality and not necessarily about his music. Yeah. Um. No, I, I'll ha- I have to say they did a better job in the days gone by of asking better questions of artists, I'll tell you. Interesting. If because they were they male, do, anyway. If yeah, if they were male, that's yeah. That's a very good point, yeah. I mean, he probably had better legs than the people interviewing him in oh, the dresses, so sure. that's he that. better than I look in dresses. <laughs> um, they, do, they did ask him, he, they did treat him like an artist, like a whole artist, mm-hmm. um, understanding that he was portraying something visual, something musical, something very artistic, and, and they... I, I think he commanded those type of interviews, though, to be honest. Mm-hmm. He was very good at being interviewed and okay. very good at as we know now, very good at setting up a persona and living inside that character and really not breaking character. Bowie was excellent at that. So during the tour, um, Bowie was exposed to two very important American proto-punk artists, which made a huge impression on him and led him to develop a concept that eventually led to the Ziggy Sardis character. A melding of the persona of Iggy Pop with the music of Lou Reed, producing what he felt would be the ultimate pop idol. So upon his return to England, Bowie declared his intention to create a character who, quote, 
Looks like he's landed from Mars. <laughs> the Stardust last name was a tribute to the legendary Stardust cowboy whose record was given to him during the tour. Um, so this guy was a Texas musician, and he is said to be the founder of Psychobilly, by the way. Mm. And mm-hmm. Bowie would later go on to cover one of his songs called I Took a Trip on a Gemini Spaceship in uh, 2002's Heathen. It's amazing that at one time the ultimate pop idol would have been a combo of Iggy Pop and Lou Reed. Well, in Bowie's <laughs> head. In Bowie's not, head. Not in the world. <laughs> only in Bowie's head. Because he's yet to be really the famous Bowie that we know. Yeah, now. Yeah, so yeah. That's, that's he's on his way there. He's on there. But he convinced us. Mm-hmm. See, seeing that and then those two names, that's funny. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, yeah. So right after this, you know, all the experiences he had in while he was on this American publicity tour, out comes Hunky Dory. And that's Bowie's fourth studio album released in December of 1971. This album received high critical acclaim and is still to this day regarded as one of Bowie's best musical works. So I feel like now he's actually becoming Bowie. Um, yeah. I don't think he's I don't think he's quite Bowie yet. To me, Bowie comes after Ziggy, but you can see how he's. It feels like he's trying on all these different skins hmm. to figure it out in a way. Well, he's yeah, he's. Like, oh, sorry. Wait, I'm the oh, guest, okay. motherfucker. <laughs> Let me go first. <laughs> wow. Please continue. <laughs> Sad Remember, he can edit you out at any moment. He can edit. I can edit. Yeah. But anyway, so I don't even know what I'm gonna say. He has the power over whatever you say. My short-term memory is running now. It's thin. fucking ruined. So okay, just to review. We're at you know he records Space Oddity. Mm-hmm. That song, like, good God, how mm-hmm. like to this day? First of all, I couldn't even listen to that song after he passed away. I had to turn off the radio if it was playing somewhere. I couldn't handle it. It is. I don't know. It's. I think it's. It's one of his most iconic songs, of course. You know. That and Life oh, on Mars. Sure. I think Mo- Life sure. on Mars is one of my. I think is one of his most. But yeah, Space Odyssey for sure. Yeah. Um. What I was gonna say, he was not only a uh, singer musician. He was also got into acting, and he felt more comfortable playing a role, being in front of people, which is why he came up with these alter egos is to kind of help him overcome his um, stage fright might be a strong word. He didn't word, have stage fright. But mm-hmm. it wasn't that, no. but it was helped him be in, get into his comfort zone, we'll mm-hmm. say. Sure. He also said that he didn't want to be a singer ever. He didn't want to be the vocalist. He wanted to just play music, but he right. just never felt like he could connect with someone who could vocalize what was in his head. He was more comfortable performing as a character than oh, as his actual self. Absolutely. And but, we'll we'll come to learn that that's to a fault, unfortunately. Yeah, and I, I almost feel like that, that that's that's a good theme, I think, with a lot of performers. You just become this caricature of yourself, um, to to a fault sometimes. Yeah, some um, people are really good at putting it away at at the mm-hmm. end of the day and some separating it at the end of the day. For him, I think he was just trying to find that because you know, for a while he went on a tour and he was like he was the mime. He was like yeah. listed as the third act on the bill yeah. as a mime. You know, mm-hmm. he he was just, but it later, of course, all integrates so perfectly. Well, yeah. you know, he did do have um, uh, was trained a little bit in acting by Marcel Marceau. Yeah, yes, and that's where mm-hmm. he learned all the miming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Mm -hmm. And uh, I I have a quote for him that says, if uh, (laughs) David Bowie said, if you come from art, you will always be art. And I feel like that totally resonates for his entire career. Matthew is miming right now. Can you not do that? Absolutely. He's the living and breathing embodiment. Mm -hmm. I can't speak right now. Embodiment. Thank you. (laughs) Of art. Um, I think he's just a walking piece of art. Some people Mm -hmm. are just like, you know, they're like that. But I find Mm -hmm. it interesting as I was putting together this timeline, as I was watching the documentaries, I can see him trying to figure out what skin suits him best. That's Mm -hmm. that's kind of what it feels like to me. And he even... That's a great way of putting it. He made remarks similar to that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, Space Oddity was him searching and reaching and you feel that and I connect with that so much. And then I feel like Hunky Dory... He's starting to be really comfortable in his own musical abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, he's become he's really comfortable in his arrangements. It's such a great, great album. I would agree it's one of his best for sure. It's an amazing album. Yeah. So, on the 10th of February in 1972, Bowie launched his Ziggy Stardust stage show with the Spiders from Mars at the Toby Jug Pub in the UK. Say that five times quickly. <laughs> the show was Is that kind of like popular. a Hooters? Uh, I, I don't think it was, but we'll, we'll pretend it was. Good right. question. I'll research that. With the Toby Jug. Try it. Try imagine. Try imagining. It's 1972, and Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars are playing a Hooters in Britain. Can you oh my god! No. Instead of Hooters, it's the Toby Jug Pub. It's, <laughs> it's like a Benny Hill movie. That's what <laughs> Again, I'm aging myself. Fuck. Shut up, sailor. All right. Anyway, so the show was hugely popular, and it pretty much catapulted him to stardom as he toured the UK over the next six months and creating what many called the cult of Bowie. He created an influence that lasted longer and has been more creative perhaps than any other force within pop fandom. The rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, often shortened to Ziggy Stardust, was Mm -hmm. the album released in June of 1972. It's Bowie's fifth studio album. This album was produced by Bowie and Ken Scott and features the Spiders from Mars, obviously the backing band that was comprised of Mick Ronson, Trevor Boulder, and Mick Woodmansey. 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 The album was described described as a loose concept album. Um, It's about Bowie's alter ego, Ziggy Stardust, a fictional androgynous bisexual rock star who acts as a messenger for our extraterrestrial beings. I love everything about that sentence, by the way. (laughs) So he's basically an andro by rock dude that's an alien. Yeah. Like I said. There you go. David Bowie. (laughs) No biggie. Magical alien. He's basically just being him. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Bowie played the character for the subsequent tour through the UK, Japan, and North America. Let me tell you guys, I would love to see what the fuck it looked like Ziggy Stardust playing in Japan. Because oh Japan, oh my y'all gosh. are some weird motherfuckers, and I love it. I love yeah, how we in the best way possible. In the yeah. best way possible. Mm-hmm. They are like, Japan <clears throat> is like the most avant-garde place on yeah. earth, right? 
what did that okay i wish i could have been there for that time travel um all right it's so, crazy concerning how how reserved the japanese people are that's in, why they're um, so actual fun. life like, it's like that's their outlet their art it's called it's the music, repression yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what happens anyway that could be a whole other show but oh that's a whole other going. show totally well i'm going to japan next year and i will be oh, are you from Tokyo. so wow. i'll let you know all about it we're gonna have to record at like two in the morning or three in the morning <laughs> No, I'll be recording at two in the morning yeah. or something. Oh. You'll but be it's like lunch time. Uh. <laughs> I'll still be on US time. We'll make it work. Yeah. Um, okay, where was I? All right, so so the bisexual al- rock star. Right, Go. right. <laughs> <laughs> the album and the character of Ziggy were influenced, obviously, by glam rock and explored themes of sexual exploration and social taboos. Yes, please. <laughs> Under- <laughs> a film of the same name, directed by. <laughs> this name is my favorite name ever. D.A. Pennebaker. Oh, I'm D.A. Pennebaker. Sounds like a detective. Yeah, it's like a real cheap, like, noir novel detective. I fucking love it so much. That's his real name. Another crime solved by like D.A. Detect- Pennebaker. Like Bugs Bunny cartoon detective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um... So yeah, so they they filmed the con- one of these concerts, and it was released about a decade later. So the album peaked at number five on the UK album charts and number 75 in the US Billboard. We are always behind the fucking, whatever you want to call it, the many things. I say behind the balls, um, US compared to the UK. Um, so by January. Okay. also helped to the, he started in the UK. That's no, not always the case, though. We've <laughs> had these discussions before, where even U.S. artists that everybody's obsessed with now get more popular in the U.K. Oh yeah, look at Dee Snyder, future guest. Exactly, Dee Snyder. Hey, yeah. buddy. Twisted hey, Twitter. Twitter. Hey, hey. Or Pat Benatar in Canada, as we yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yes, right. <laughs> and Blondie um, and Joan Jett. Well, yeah. Just saying. So it has. So this record has sold 7.5 million copies worldwide as of 2016. That's just one of these this guy's records. Mind blowing. Um, so it received widespread critical acclaim upon its release. Um, it was also selected in 2017 for preservation in the National Recording Registry, being deemed quote culturally, historically, or artistically significant by the Library of Congress. I would say it is all of those things, of course. Um, Also, small interesting fact, I think it was in 2011, there was a commemorative plaque installed for Z Stardust on Hedden Street, and that's where the original album cover uh, photo was taken. So the album remained in the charts for two freaking years. Jesus. Yeah, two years. So at the same time, the non-album single John I'm Only Dancing and the (laughs) amazing song all the young dudes um a song that he actually wrote and produced for mop the hoople were wildly successful in the uk and it's this at this point that he embarked on a ziggy stardust tour throughout the united states so while in the states bowie contributing backing vocals keyboards and guitar to lou reed's 1972 solo breakthrough transformer he actually co-produced his album so there you go last time he was in the U.S., he became a fan of Lou Reed. He comes back. Just a short time later, he's like, oh, yeah, motherfucker, I'll write and produce (laughs) a fucking album. Mm -hmm. 
the following year, uh, Bowie co-produced and mixed <laughs> the Stooges album, Raw Power with Iggy Pop. Again, was his big fan of Iggy Pop, wanted mm-hmm. to kind of be him, comes back a short time later, I'm going to do your shit for you. Um, and that's when Bowie's Aladdin Sane in 1973 topped the UK charts. It was his first number one album. And it was described by Bowie as Ziggy Goes to America. Mm-hmm. It contained the songs that he wrote when he was traveling to and across the U.S. during the Ziggy tour. And now he continued on to Japan again to, prom- to promote the new album. So Aladdin Sane spawned the U.K. top five singles, The Gene Genie, and Drive-In Saturday. I love The Gene Genie. Mm-hmm. So Bowie toured and gave press conferences as Ziggy before a very dramatic and abrupt onstage retirement happened at London's Hammersmith Odeon on July 3rd of 1973. I was only a few months old. Footage from the final show was released the same year for the film Ziggy Stardust and the Spider from Mars. So this is a very famous moment. Number one, people have to realize that dude was living as Ziggy Stardust this whole time. Like he's literally not breaking character. People who knew him said it was absolutely nuts. He was just doing it. So then, it's been debated whether he told the spiders that he was done or not. Um, I don't know. Either way, the spiders seemed completely shocked. I don't know if you guys have seen this um, film, the Ziggy. I saw the footage where he announced on stage that yeah, he was done. Basically, did you see the spiders' reactions? No, I didn't. Unfortunately, they didn't. Did show they that. Uh, crawl up the water spout? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. By the way, he's clearly talking. Hashtag mom joke. He's not talking about. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. He's not talking he, about Bowie the performer. He's talking about Ziggy Stardust. He's yes. speaking. Yes, he's saying Ziggy yes. Stardust. He's retired. Ziggy Stardust is done. Ziggy Stardust yes. is dead. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's interesting because. So I thought I was the only one that made this correlation until I found another, someone else, another uh, uh, music writer at the time, made the correlation that, so Peter Gabriel was originally in Genesis. And so, you know, the famous photo of Peter Gabriel in the dress and the wolf's mask over his face. So he shows up like that to the show. He's five minutes late. The band's literally already on stage. And he just walks out like that. And they're like, what the fuck? They had no idea it was <laughs> Then, a couple, I, th- I can't remember how long it was later, they read in the newspaper that Peter Gabriel has left the band. That's mm. how they found out. <laughs> They're like, oh, okay. All and right, so the spiders have, had always maintained, whether it's part of the whole story or not, that right. that's how they found out that Ziggy Stardust was dead, basically. So after breaking up with the spiders, Bowie tried to move on from his Ziggy persona. His back catalog was now highly sought after. He was the best-selling artist in 1973 in the UK. And it brought the total number of Bowie albums concurrently on the UK chart to six. So dude's got six albums charting at the same fucking time. That's insanity. Absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. He's the best-selling act in the UK in 73? Yeah. That's incredible. You got to figure Zeppelin. You got to figure Zeppelin still like at the top of their game too in '73. Oh, if you look at if you look at yeah. artists in the UK in 1973, right? Yeah. Then the people. So and he's got six albums. Yeah. <laughs> like so far. Albums. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on charting at the same no charting at the same time. I I believe it's a who's who of 
Yeah, who else? You got Zeppelin. You've got Pink Floyd. The time. Sabbath. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you are amongst some pretty interesting company. I'll tell yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, at this Maiden. point, is he he rocking like the the crazy freaking makeup and shit? He's he was oh, a yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that's, so that's right. Oh, that's yeah. right. He yeah. is of course. I mean, if you look at pictures of Ziggy Stardust, I mean, he is walking around as Ziggy Stardust. So um, I was talking to to Matt while we were doing our research, and luckily we were able to do it together, which was so sweet and romantic. No fights at all whatsoever. But um, <laughs> I asked him, was this basically? Was he the first person to to do this? Was he the influencer of the rock and rollers uh, of the future to wear your crazy Basically makeup? of the glam metal. Yeah, he was one metal. of the earliest. He, I wouldn't yeah. say he was the first, but we he was agreed one of the at a point that yes. But what do you guys think well, of Well, I said that? yes because I couldn't think of anybody else. No, 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 no. He did not create he did not create the glam rock. He okay. popularized it. Okay. He took it. He took it from several different influences. And honed it in and then related it to more. He's always been considered more rock in his pop. He always considers himself a pop artist. I've always considered him a rock and roll artist. Sure. Um, so he's considered to be the one that popular, popularized the glam. I say glam, early glam rock, glam pop, whatever the fuck you want to call it. So mm-hmm. they will call him the grandfather of glam often, which I think rightly so. I don't know. I know just... the uh, the documentary I watched talks about how he was influenced very early on. Um, one of the artists they brought up was Little Richard. Yeah, yeah. Had a very yeah. kind of a dry yeah. was Andrew one of the really yeah. He was also to him. also you have to think about the music that he's growing up on. You know, you have um, you have people that are they're they're dressing on stage. They're doing choreographed dance. There's sequins. There's a showpiece to it. You know, everything was, it was a lot of show to popular music at the time. So, you know, if, if you take that and you're not bothered by your own, you know, what your gender is supposed to look like and you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, Gladys nice in the pips are wearing, she's wearing a sequin gown. Fuck. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> So there we are with Ziggy Stardust. He is dead. Oh. <laughs> so in comes 1974. Bowie has now moved to the U.S. He initially stayed in New York City in the village, actually, before he settled in L.A. And now he releases Diamond Dogs in May of 1974. And again, this album was, you guessed it, another musical departure from his previous album. So... This is after his retirement of Ziggy Stardust, and it featured its own lead character, Halloween Jack, who he said, quote, a real cool cat who lives in the decaying hunger city. So the strange thing is, is that it seems like Ziggy was very much alive in Diamond Dogs. And many pointed to Bowie's haircut and the cover and the glam trash style of the first single, Rebel Rebel. And... Many have also called this record his glam swan song. I think most critics and writers have said, um, have, have kind of reiterated what David Buckley, who was an author, said, quote, it's sort of the move which would come to define his career. 
Bowie jumped the glam rock ship just in time before it drifted into a blank parody of itself. End quote. Great Absolutely. quote. Love that. Absolutely. He knew mm-hmm. when to come in and he knew when to go out. Yeah, and he always, was so ahead of his time in that always, way. Always. Yeah, he, always saw, he always saw it getting stale before it got stale. Yeah. Absolutely. Stale. Yeah. Stale. Stale. <laughs> Um, so the album was a total success. It made number one in the UK charts and number five in the US. Um, Bowie's highest stateside charting to that date and number one in Canada. Again, what the fuck, US? So can you, just, can you just imagine the world without Rebel Rebel? I, it's it's one of my favorite Bowie songs. I mean, and I don't know, for my generation too, being a girl, it was like a call to arms. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I always felt like, when I read the lyrics, I was like, oh, it's not really what I thought it was, but I don't care. I still I feel mean, like... I'm not, I'm not going to lie when I say this, and there were a lot of songs going through this research that I heard that I knew, and I said, holy shit, David Bowie sings that. Not gonna lie, really? I moments, o- only because, and I know we'll, we've talked about it already, and we'll cover it later. But only because of the difference in sounds from album to yes. album mm-hmm. and decade to decade, where you might think it's somebody else, but lo and behold, it's David fucking Bowie. He just every re- time recreated himself for every freaking album. Uh, yeah, that, and that's why I keep saying it. So this yeah. album is a musical departure mm-hmm. from the last album. That is, you know, we'll we'll get there, but. Um, yeah. So the, before Madonna was Madonna, before exactly. Lady Gaga was Lady Gaga, exactly. there was David Bowie. There was Bowie. David freaking you know? Bowie, absolutely. They, they took their they, they took their cues rightly, though. I mean, that's yeah. who mm-hmm. you know. That's their he's kind of their counterparts in a way, you know. And so yeah. it, it's absolutely. Um, so at this point, Bowie starts touring again for the Diamond Dogs tour in the U.S. And um, he's deep into his drug addiction. He has always said that he was a big lover of cocaine. That was his drug of choice. At this point, he's really struggling with his mental and physical health. Um, this album, though, really solidified Bowie's status as a superstar, charting at number two in the UK and number eight in the US. Um, after a break in Philadelphia, while uh, Bowie recorded new material, the tour resumed with a new emphasis on soul. It's quite a cork pop there, Ed. Damn. <laughs> a squeak, squeak and pop. So you can That's see... That's a massive cork. Damn. Nice. <laughs> nice said. cork. You can see a theme here, which is not only does he... I feel like he looks at other people and he says, I like that. I'm going to take a little bit of that. He goes to a place and he really lives in that place and picks up as much as he can from that place. And he was very influenced by Philadelphia and the soul and R&B that he experienced while he was there. And the result of that was the Young Americans album. It's Bowie's ninth studio album. It was released in March of 75. And Bowie would call this album sound, quote, plastic soul, describing it as the squash remains of ethnic music as it survives in the age of Muzak rock written and sung by a white limey. How amazing is just that sentence? Like, seriously, like how amazing is that? <laughs> this is what I mean. He even speaks album. like art. Yeah. He's, 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 he's a magical alien. Yeah, he is. 
was very <laughs> self-aware. That's very that's much real. so. Very that's much so. Sure. Um, so Bowie is actually one uh, among some of the first English pop musicians of that era to use black musical styles. The album was very, very successful in the U.S. It reached top 10 of the Billboard charts, and the song Fame hit number one. I adore that song. Yeah, that's got a real that, that funk beat. To oh it. my god, it's it's got everything to it, and I feel like it's so of that time period as well. Um, oh god, 1975. It's it's a great example of what was happening, and I think absolutely what he experienced. And interestingly, outside like, of disco, anyway. Outside of <laughs> disco, um, it's a little bit later for disco, not quite yeah, yet. Yeah, no, that's that's true. Fine. Yeah, it's amazing, you know, to have Lennon and Bowie together on one song is fucking phenomenal. Absolutely. Yeah. I just love how he translates his experiences through his music. Anything that rubs off on him. Um, to me, that's just so interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Station to Station comes next in 1976. It was produced by Bowie and Harry Maslin. And this album introduced yet another Bowie persona, the Thin White Duke. This album developed the funk and soul of young Americans, but Station to Station's synthesizer-heavy arrangements, again, developed yet another new sound for Bowie. Unfortunately, Bowie's drug addiction was now really affecting his ability to keep it together publicly. There was a... um, there was a public incident when Bowie was on a talk show to discuss the album and supporting tour right before the satellite linked satellite linked interview was to begin the death of the Spanish dictator Francisco Franco was announced. Um, so the producers asked Bowie if he would relinquish the satellite booking, you know, Hey, can you jump off so that we can, the Spanish government can put out a live live news feed. This is a very big deal for all of Europe. Um, and he refused to do so. So the interview had to go ahead. Awesome. Um, he was completely incoherent. He looked totally disconnected. And sadly, that year, he overdosed several times. And it was said that he was physically alarming to look at. Man. Can you imagine if that was the end right there? No, God, hell no. How, I mean, how much oh, music we wouldn't no. have gotten? That's yeah. what, yes, no. Yeah. Um, and he puts out the golden years at this point. You know, oh, this is... I'm sorry, you're at the worst, lowest point of your life and you managed to put out golden years? Are you fucking kidding me right now? Jesus. So Bowie then moves to Switzerland in late 76 and then Berlin where he immersed himself in writing, art, and painting. He was finally able to clean himself up and get his drug use under control. And out came Low, his 11th studio album, released in January of 77. This was his first collaboration with Brian Eno. And once again, this album was a shift in Bowie's musical style toward an electronic and avant-garde sound. Although it was met with mixed reviews from critics at the time, it's now considered to be one of his most influential works. And I would agree. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I feel like David Bowie is a famous personality. 
He's a worldwide known and celebrated musician. So I just want to recap the rest of his the rest of his discography a little bit um, before we continue the discussion. So after um, at the, so at this point after Low, he puts out Heroes in '77, Lodger in '79, Scary Monsters and Super Creeps in 1980, and then Let's Dance in 1983, Tonight in '84. Never Let Me Down, 87, Black Tie, White Noise, 93, Outside, 95, Earthling, 97, Hours, 99, Heathen, 2002, Reality, 2003, The Next Day, 2013, and Black Star, 2016. I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about two of these albums. The reason that I mentioned the rest of these albums that we're not going to go into depth in, we just don't have the time, is just to show you the breadth of this man's catalog is mm -hmm. absolutely insane. So starting, let's start with 1983's Let's Dance. And the reason I wanted to highlight this album is because it's widely known as the album that reintroduced Bowie to the world and to my generation, which is Generation X. Yep. I was just going to say, this is, the, this is the album that introduced David Bowie to me. This is me Let's Dance. This yes. is it was on the video was on MTV. This is how I discovered David Bowie initially. And that's, that's the one of the, the beauties of, of back in the back in the Disney MTV. Like that was it 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 launched in 1983 on MTV and was basically an overnight sensation because of that. People were exposed to his music because of that, and it's Let's Dance. But you got to remember too is that. You know, MTV at that point was a haven for up-and-coming stars. Absolutely. And David Bowie had already established himself as a veteran. Sort but of not star. in the U.S. Not in the U.S., but true. But no, he, he was already a top-selling artist in the U.S. Yeah, but it's you just, know, he, he's the contra he's co the contradiction to Video Killed the Radio Star, basically, absolutely. because he yeah, because he was the one. Maybe maybe there's somebody else, but he was an exception to that because so he reinvigorated himself. Right, and this is yeah. considered his comeback. So yeah. this album contains three of his most successful single singles ever, 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 which is Let's Dance, which reached number one in the U.S. and the U.K. and various other countries, as well as Modern Love and China Girl, which China both Girl. reached number two in the U.K. and the U.S. So all of these songs are on this album, and this is an album that they're just reissuing this is new music in 1983 that comes out so he is still it proves that in 1983 he is still a fresh new relatable artist still for, relevant for us mm -hmm. completely for all i knew this was a new band that i had never heard of let's dance i fell in love with it i was obsessed with him and of course then you go back and look at the back catalog and you're like oh my god you know all the all his other music So Let's Dance was nominated for Album of the Year at the Grammy Awards in 1984, but it lost out to Michael Jackson's Thriller. I mean, I mean that's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's it's okay. okay. We'll, Any we'll other year, he wins. Any other year, he would have won, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it, it has sold 10.7 million copies worldwide, yeah. making it Bowie's best-selling album. At one point, Bowie described the album as, get ready for this one, Matt, if you like that other description, Mm. Quote, loves facts. A rediscovery, a rediscovery of white English 
ex-art school student meets Black American funk, a refocusing of young Americans. Oh, speaking of, this is a great, great point for me to bring up. Um, And since you mentioned Michael Jackson, I don't know if you saw the video, but this is back in the, must have been in the 70s. You see David, uh, David Bowie in a stage performance doing basically what is a moonwalk. Yes, absolutely. Showing that it did not originate with Michael Jackson. We might I mean, have to, yeah. uh, we might have basically, to but not the same. It wasn't exactly the same. Matt, please don't make a poll out of that. Just, just leave it alone. I'm not. Thank just you. <laughs> so we can share we have, it anyway, to... it is. It. I saw the clip, and I they didn't even bring it up. And I'm like, holy cow, he's doing a moonwalk before we, Michael we'll Jackson. That's awesome. We'll, we'll put the videos side by side in our Facebook group, and we'll, <laughs> and then we yeah. can decide what we think. Good call. Um, I have, so, a, I have a question. What's what's the link with uh, David Bowie and Nine Inch Nails? I don't know. What's the link? I saw Trent Reznor talking about him, but I don't yes, know. Yes, he is. did. Maybe we'll get to that. So the correlation with David Bowie and Nine Inch Nails is that um, they toured with them for a time. I don't have the exact year. I wish I wrote it down. But um, yeah, he uh, he toured with them. It wasn't a exactly a you know total commercial success for them but they did they toured together they opened for them but yeah david bowie's been billed as some interesting bands i did see that actually at one point he was billed on this with iron maiden if you can imagine that Mm. yeah i could see trent reznor and david bowie though oh absolutely yeah i think i think they're that's a weird they're cut from the same cloth really oh, yeah. Cloth. Oh, yeah. Thank, you. Oh, yeah. thank you yes yeah yeah the cultural fearlessness the eclecticness is so one of charged. the things that david bowie was very good at and 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 it wasn't just in his own generation but he was a lover of music mm-hmm. and he would go to shows all the time he would go to art performances he was a hell of an art collector i mean apparently his art collection is absolutely insane he was going like it was not unheard of to find out that david bowie was lurking in a backstage or a green room or in the corner of a show some small show because he heard that a band oh this band's really good you got to check them out or he found their music and liked it he would literally go to shows he was very very supportive of artists that were new and upcoming or just artists that he actually really liked right Mm-hmm. Um, and a really good example is, uh, so have you guys seen the movie, the velvet gold mine? Never even heard of it. Never. No. Is that homework? I'm writing it, it down. <laughs> I, I would, I mean, I love, I'm obsessed with that movie, but so it came out in 1998. It's a British movie and, um, it is, it's about a glam superstar named Brian Slade who was heavily influenced in his early years by hard-living and rebellious American singer Kurt Wilde. What is that? Who does that remind you of? So it's supposed to be loosely kind of a, a snapshot of David Bowie's life and career. Okay. It's, it's, <clears throat> the reason I say it's supposed to be loosely is because they wanted it to be about him and he wouldn't give his permission. And say they the name of the movie again? Velvet Goldmine. Right. They, okay. they respectfully didn't, you know, say it was David Bowie, didn't use David Bowie's or Iggy Pops or Mick Jagger's or Lou Reed's name, but mm-hmm. they're all in there. I mean, mm-hmm. 
David, like David Bowie's first wife, all of that. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a retelling. But there is a band that happened to play. Um, I used to have the soundtrack, and um, that happened to play on the soundtrack. Um, it's it's kind of um, well. Brian Eno is on the soundtrack, which is mm. which should tell you something. So is Lou Reed. Um, and there's a band called Pulp. You guys familiar with the band Pulp? Nope. I I am not. Like so, the stuff I don't like in my orange juice. Nope. Pulp? I mean, you probably wouldn't like this band either. Oh. Just like stuff are they fictional? No, they're no. a real band. <laughs> they're a real. <laughs> <laughs> See what you did there. <laughs> They're a real fucking band. Um, they are a British band, um, and uh, Bowie was a big fan, and actually became uh, a mentor for the singer. I can't remember his name for the singer of the band, and um, they went on to have a very, very long friendship of mentoring, and uh, had some really, really awesome. Um, exceptional things to say about David Bowie after he had passed away, and so they're they're a big part of the movie as well. Now, do you think so, Bowie didn't give a like? Do you think they they approached him about doing a movie and he said no? That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Okay. They were very yeah. open about it. Um, he oh, said really? no. Okay. He, yeah. he said no. I'm not interested. Um, Iggy Pop apparently also said no. Um, so they just said, all right, well, we'll just do our own kind of. Thing. And then I think that it came, they did a great job with it. Yeah. It's amazing because, um, yeah, like, you know, in a day now where we have so many rock star biopics where we just had our Freddie Mercury and we have our Elton John movie coming out this year, and not to mention the dirt. You know, the dirt. Let's not mention the dirt. I'm not going to put the dirt in with the Elton John oh, and Freddie Mercury. Please, God, don't. Yeah, Hashtag don't. squirt her around but, the uh, world. I think, I think Bowie would be the next in line, man. I think Bowie would be the next in line for a biopic. <laughs> you know, I don't know who the fuck could pull it off. I, I think I would have the same oh, theory you know, as I had with Queen. But I'm saying we but we said that about Freddie. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, too, absolutely. and we were knocked out of the park with that. So hopefully, yeah. there's somebody out there. I think we don't Bo know. is much more of a challenge than Queen. It's going to be an unknown person. It's not yeah. going to be somebody we know. That it can would be have to be. It would have to be. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so I, I want to, of course, end this discussion talking about Black Star before we go into, um, you know, our relationship with David Bowie as an artist. Um, Black Star was David Bowie's twenty fifth and final studio album. You heard that right, folks. 25th. Quarter century. (laughs) It was released on January 8th of 2016, coinciding with his 69th birthday. The album was recorded in secret in New York City with Bowie's longtime co-producer, Tony Visconti, and a group of local jazz musicians. Just two days after its release, (sighs) Bowie died of liver cancer. His Mm -hmm. illness was not revealed to the public until his death. Um, Visconti described the album as Bowie's intended swan song and a parting gift for his fans before his death. It's very hard for me not to get choked up about this right now. But I mean, that's that's Bowie, though, because I mean, throughout his entire career, throughout his entire life, whatever trauma was thrown his way, he never made a big deal about it. He never made it public. Um, Even to people that were close to him, he never you know, bad in an eye, you know, everything that happened with his family. 
So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, a, liver, uh, a cancer diagnosis that he had for, you know, a while, you know, he didn't make public until he passed away. So, I mean, that's that's him. Absolutely. Yes. When the album came out, it was met with critical acclaim and topped the charts in a number of countries in the wake of his death and became Bowie's only album to top the Billboard 200 in the United States, which is a fucking shame, Billboard. The album remained at the number one position in the UK charts for three weeks. It was the fifth best-selling album of the entire year worldwide. It was also the best-selling album worldwide for two consecutive weeks, having sold more than 969,000 copies as of January 31st, 2016. It has sold more than 1,900,000 copies as of April 2017 and received gold and platinum certification in the U.S., and the UK. Look up here, man, I'm in danger. I've got nothing left to lose. And lastly, at the 59th Grammy Awards, the album won awards for Best Alternative Music Album, Best Engineered Album, Non-Classical, Best Recording Package, and the title single won Best Rock Performance and Best Rock Song. The album was also awarded the British Album of the Year in 2017. Sarah, beware. I have been generous up until now, but I can be cruel. Generous? What have you done that's generous? Everything. Everything that you wanted, I have done. You asked that the child be taken. I took him. You cowered before me. I was frightening. I have reordered time. I have turned the world upside down. And I have done it all for you. I am exhausted from living up to your expectations. Isn't that generous? Well, you were talking yeah. about you were talking about your your daughter. Do you sing lullabies? Yeah, I sing well more nursery rhymes. Nursery you know? rhymes. Yeah. Do you do it in that David Bowie style or? No, but I could do, couldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> it's cool if you went into a room at night with a microphone and you were just doing. Hickory dickory dock. <laughs> do I see this one through? Yeah. The mouse ran up the clock. <laughs> the clock struck one. The mouse ran down, hickory dickory. <laughs> wow. She looks at me, she looks at me and goes, Moon. <laughs> so for me, I think. You know, we discuss so much the relationship that music had, that we have with music and the influence that musician ha musicians have on us. And I have to say that for me, the reason it took me so long to feel like I could do this properly and respectfully, and I, I'm sure I won't be happy with it, and I don't think I'd ever be happy with however we did this, and I won't feel like it's good enough, is because Bowie was an overarching inspiration to me and made a lasting impression on me as a young girl in coming up in the 80s i was not um conventional 
in thinking. I wasn't conventional in how I looked. Um, I wanted different things than it seemed like I was supposed to want and all the girls around me and I wanted to look very different. Bowie gave, I felt like when I would pick up, when I first heard Let's Dance and I got into Let's Dance and um, then went and found his other albums, I thought for my thir- first albums, he's so weird looking. What is he wearing? <laughs> Why does his hair look like that? But I was attracted to it somehow. And I felt like he was one of those artists that gave me permission to be weird. And I said this a lot after he passed away. There are sometimes people you've never met in real life that have made such a huge impact on you that they become very important to you. And that's how Bowie has always felt to me and how I felt when he passed away. It was, it, it's, you almost feel like they're not supposed to be real people. They're not supposed right. to be able to die and, <laughs> and go away. You know, there's this life. Yeah, oh there's absolutely. Exactly. But I, what I, what the most important thing that I got from him was do whatever the fuck you want. You know, after Let's Dance, his, his, uh, the record company was like, yeah, let's make another Let's Dance. Here's all this money. And he didn't. <laughs> they mm-hmm. did something completely different. The charts didn't love it, but he loved the album. He's, it's one of his favorite albums. Um, you know, his personas, the, the, his, him being walking artistry, um, that, his, his, the attitude he had towards sexuality, that was very important to me when I was younger. That is very important to young girls today. That's probably... Girls and boys. Sure. But I think even more so girls, though, because we are are even more so supposed to fit in a certain box. And um, when you don't want to fit into that box, especially in the 80s, it was not okay. It was not accepted. You weren't cool. Like nowadays... You get you, you go to a high school and kids have different colored hair and you know this one looks like this one. This is not what it used to be when I was a kid at all. You were a fucking weirdo. You probably got your ass beat up, got put in garbage cans, got made fun of, or ostracized, whatever. So if you were smart and had survival instincts, you would always kind of skirt the edge of that. Like, oh yeah, I'm wearing guest jeans too. But <laughs> secretly, I really love thrash metal and. <laughs> David Bowie and just weird shit that nobody knew, you know, like the sugar cubes or something. (laughs) (laughs) And you had to make yourself relatable somehow. But I can remember times where I would be watching Bowie videos or listening to his music and just feeling like, Oh my God, like he understands me Mm -hmm. (laughs) being a a young teenager that romanticizes everything. Um, And then just the, the, expanse of his creativity the different styles of music that he made is just Mm mind-blowing I mean just absolutely unbelievable and that's I think what I appreciate about him most yeah sailor I I totally agree with you 100% I I mean I look at David Bowie and I want to say almost the same way I see Freddie Mercury because Queen is is like my heart and soul. I, I'm a performer, I'm a singer, and like 
anything they do, Freddie Mercury could fart in a can, and and I would be like, oh my god, that's fucking amazing. <laughs> but um, I, I I mean, David Bowie is the same theatrical, amazing, uh, nugget of 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 like artistic genius that we look for in our artists, and 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 I love that the man he epitomizes a dreamer. He constantly reinvented himself. He's always saying, I'm art. This is art. Blah, 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 blah. And even when he wasn't maybe feeling himself when he's doing music, you know what? I'm going to friggin' act. And you know what? I'm going to paint some damn pictures. He just always fed that part of him soul. And I think that, I don't think we need to go too much into it, but maybe touch a smidge on, on mental illness because that was a big part of his life. He had... His family went through a lot of hardships. He was very close to his brother, who, who was mm-hmm. institutionalized for a really long time for um, schizophrenia. Yeah. And eventually ended up taking his own life because of that. And he had a lot of close people in his family that, that had that. His mother as well had, had yes. mental illness also. Yes, yes, absolutely. So to have that like looming over you, but you're still holding on to holding on to your dream, holding on to your, your, your faith that, you know what, I'm going to rise above. I'm going to be this amazing artist and whatever, despite, despite everything, but he still stayed close to his brother and he kept a lot of that close to his heart. You ask anyone that was close to to David Bowie and they'll say he never talked about it. He never talked about his brother. He, he didn't really talk about um, all that stuff that, um, that was going on with him. Um, but um, he, he almost made it okay to the masses. Like it's okay to it's okay to be different. It's okay. You can be androgynous. You can be. I'm I'm gay today, and you know, in a few years, mm, I'm gonna be straight. You know, just just be you. And and I think that was a huge message, huge importance, especially in those days. I think I'll just correct one tiny thing. As I think, please, how he saw be honest. the sexuality was. I don't have to be either. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be gay. I don't have to be straight. Yeah. I can just you. be whatever the fuck I want. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt that way about sexuality. Um, I had influences when I was very young. One of my older cousins came out and the family handled it horribly. Mm-hmm. He was, I didn't have an older brother. He was my older brother figure and I adored him and he's a wonderful human being. It was traumatic to watch that happen and made no sense. As a kid, before you know any better, it makes no fucking sense. Right. Like, who cares? And then my little brother came out of the closet when he was very, very, very young in the 80s. It was a very scary time. In the 80s, that was... It was very scary. very brave for him. I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified Mm -hmm. for his safety. And he has experienced many horrible things because of it. And he's a wonderful human being. Um, So I experienced that on so many different levels. Um, The bigotry... But I don't know, for myself personally, I've always felt like sexuality is very fluid. Mm-hmm. And I think I hope that humanity will one day reach a point where it's not even a discussion. You fall in love with who you fall in love with and you are what you are. Whether you, you subscribe to a gender or not, who gives mm-hmm. a fuck? Really, who gives a fuck? It's nobody's business. Seriously, it's though. Who gives a fuck? It- it's, it doesn't affect you in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Who cares who I'm sleeping with at night? You're not in my home. Go fuck yourself. That's kind of how I felt. That that's I think that to me is more of the statement he was trying to make is that, yeah. you know, 
I am what I am, period. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to subscribe to gender roles or, or sexuality boxes that we tick off. Um, and I completely and totally agree with that. And I don't but, know yeah, why it was f- such a focus for some... for. Well, that was the sign to the but, times, I guess. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, I, go I ahead. Guess, originally, at one point, he did come out and claim that he was he was gay. But I guess you're saying that later on he kind mm-hmm. of recanted and said, I can just yeah. be whatever I want to be. That was his character that was gay, honestly. Yeah. Okay. I, I think it had a lot to do with it, too, yeah. It was one of his characters because he's always had that androgyny to him that he pushed forward and everything. And later just explained, you know, I have sex with who I'm attracted to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the end. <Good> for him. <laughs> Which is pretty much what we all say. Yeah. Do you have to then qualify what gender it is? Who gives a fuck? Like, who fucking cares? Um, however, it affected who he was artistically and musically because it was not accepted. Yeah. You know, that he, he was not accepted walking around in a dress. It wasn't accepted that it was illegal at the time, actually, for him to sleep with another man mm-hmm. um, in the country that he lived in. You could be arrested and imprisoned for yeah, it. Absolutely. Um, there are some countries that he was traveling to that you could be, you could be uh, given the death penalty for it. Um, he did end up remarrying again later in life and uh, had more children and was very happy yeah. with his female wife and and you know whatever their relationship was i don't know it's nobody's business really in my opinion but his sexuality was something that he um pushed forward in his music and talked about it and made it a part of a lot of his characters and sometimes his characters were gay and sometimes they were straight and depending Mm -hmm. on who he was at that time in that period in his life would that's what he would talk about so and i i loved that about him and i found that to be very important rock on so one question i have for you guys is for Mm -hmm. me when black star came out i i didn't i knew he was coming out with a new album and it when the album came out and then he died since it was two days apart i was i didn't get a chance i hadn't listened to the album yet and i just thought Oh God. And then all of a sudden I don't, I was somewhere and the video for Lazarus was on and I watched it and it upset me so much. I don't think it would have upset me before he died, but it upset me after he died. And it has been very, very difficult for me to listen to that album. I did listen through it once and I have not been able to go back to it. Well, full disclosure here. As much as I enjoy a lot of David Bowie's material, he is not an artist I really followed over the years. Um, and so I really did not know anything about this Black Star album. So I, think, I really can't comment too much on it. I think for many people, Likewise. he went away a little bit for a while. I don't think people were keeping up with him mm-hmm. much after Let's Dance unless you were like a diehard fan. Yeah, it, right. But I, I wouldn't accurate. To- yeah. I, I would listen to everything that he put out because I was always just so interested in him musically, whether I would buy it or listen to it regularly would be a different story. But um, it, I find it a very difficult album to listen to. It is very much about his, he knows death is coming and that's what mm-hmm. the whole album is about. And there it's are haunting. Yeah. It yeah. is very, very haunting. And there are a lot of, 
you know, again, like we would need a whole other show to discuss this album in depth, the meaning that he put in all of the, he put in so many Easter eggs in this album. The meanings, this song is probably one of the most meaningful things he ever did. Probably he would yeah. say other than being a parent mm-hmm. in his life. Um, he, it, it's just reading the lyrics, reading, ugh, it is, yeah, haunting. Very much so. I can't do it. Yeah. Um, I couldn't listen to Space Oddity for a long time, like I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time listening. It's the same thing when, when Prince died, Purple Rain came on the radio. Oh, my God, no. Like, no. they literally uh, announced, I'm in my car. No, that's another it. story. Oh, dude. Yeah. They, yeah. Uh, that's they announced episode. it. They announced it, I'm in my car, oh. and they immediately play Purple Rain. So I didn't even have a second to, like, digest it what just no, happened i was like, like even, yeah. what and i'm like this i'm not reading it on facebook like they just said it on the right. fucking radio it's got to be real and so i'm like i'm at a traffic light trying to google it real quick oh you know does this really happen and i just the minute purple ring i just start crying right i'm in my car and i feel like what an it, i'm such an idiot why am i crying right now and i look over and there's a shit you not there's another girl at the stoplight <gasps> sitting next in her car Aww. and she's visibly crying <laughs> And look over at her and we kind of look at each other and it's like we just kind of knew and we both right. put our hands on our yeah. chest just right. like just shaking our heads like it's not possible it can't be and we both rolled down our windows and turned turned it up and I just I, I got to work and I, I get inside and I'm just like give me a computer <laughs> and yeah right give me a Google. I was the GM at a bar at the time and all the bartenders like cry everybody was just like hugging each other and crying it was like oh my god, oh my god. and i'm like okay and i had to have like a all right team we can do this we got to pull it together and open right. up like we can't cry over prince all night this is not, <laughs> this is not possible we're the bartenders where we have to keep everyone else strong god damn exactly. It. exactly but when bowie died i was alone oh. i was alone in my house and i heard the news and i just thought to myself this is the shock lasted a lot longer than prince i just thought this is not possible he is supposed to be he yeah he's supposed to be he's an alien he's eternal alien um but i i think that no matter who you are listening to this no matter what your favorite favorite music is i dare you if you are not already appreciative of his music to go through his discography and tell me that you don't find some piece of influence in whatever it is that you listen to in his music, all of it, thrash metal, yeah. blues, country, R&B, country, so yeah. Yeah. even that, pop, yeah. all of it. He me, ran yeah. the gamut. Let me piggyback off that because that's a great point you just made right there. And for me anyway, and I'm not a huge fan of his music. I think Space Oddity is one of the greatest songs ever written. Um, I think it's timeless. I think it holds it, it. It stands the test of time. I think it is a beautiful piece of art. As a musician, I'm not a huge David Bowie fan. Um, or as a as a fan, I'm not a huge David Bowie fan, period, the end. Um, musically, that is. But, you know, inside our little sphere of metal and rock, we hold certain people on a pedestal. For me, Ozzy, you know, Lemmy, you know, those guys are a step above, um, you know, mo- you know, most. 
But outside of that sphere that we cover on the show most of the time, there are others that I hold on a high pedestal. And David Bowie is definitely one of them. Um, the guy opened more doors than maybe anybody else in music for artists that are performing today. You know, if you look at something as simple as actors who were musicians, I mean, you, you, you talk about Lady Gaga going into acting or someone like Jennifer Hudson or Cher. None of that stuff happens if David Bowie doesn't do that first. I mean, he was kind of the first one that did that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he laid the groundwork for a lot of those people. Um, as a as an influencer, as someone who paved his own way, David Bowie for me is on that pedestal with with others like Michael. You know, Michael Jackson's on that pedestal. Prince is on that pedestal as well. Um, so as a human being and as an influencer, David Bowie's definitely up for me there, even though I'm not a huge fan of his music per se, um, despite what I said about Space Oddity before, because I think that is the one of the greatest songs ever written. Absolutely. Yeah. There's one other personality, one other persona, I should say, that David did so well that I want to talk about before we finish this up, and that is Jareth. Who here has not seen Labyrinth? Come on. Everybody's I'm sorry. seen Labyrinth, I didn't, right? I, I didn't see it. Are you it. fucking I'm kidding sorry. me, Jenny? I'm sorry. I was born in 86. I'm a child. Can you fuck when you're born? My Listen, fucking I've, I've seen three-year-old it, niece has seen it. I think I've seen it. I'm assuming I have, but it's I've been seen so it, but long. it's been so long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Any of my shortcomings, I just blame on I know, my I know it's the Muppet guy that did it. Oh, fuck. Muppet? Jim Henson. I know, like, I know the scenes and the images of that movie. That's it. You're all fired. I remember Sailor. It was another episode, one of our very early episodes, where you brought up how you kind of had a thing for David Bowie and Labyrinth. Wait, uh, was that one of the episodes? Every that was girl had. Yeah. Every, yeah. Uh, okay, it's not, it's right. not just Sailor. I'm sure it's every not just girl. Sailor. Yeah. It, let me tell you. <laughs> The, the, the spandex pants that he wore that say delicately. Spandex pants is why I watch it, WWE so much. Okay, then you should watch Labyrinth. Okay. The way uh, it enhanced his package <laughs> for a young hormonal uh, girl with his uh, long blonde spiky hair. Pounds. Uh, <laughs> shut up. Don't fucking ruin it for me, Matthew. Yeah, stop it. God damn it, Matt. Um, She's turning red. Oh. No, no. Labyrinth was, um, Labyrinth was another catapult for him um, around the time of Let's Dance. An awakening for you? It, it, no, that was an awakening, babe. That was my <laughs> way before that. Okay. I thought I got really close to the mic when he said that. <laughs> I'm one of those girls your mom would have called bath. Oh, damn. <laughs> a Vicky Valencourt? <laughs> Stay uh, away from those fast girls. Yeah, don't get in the fast. Yeah, you wouldn't have brought me home to mom when I was younger. <laughs> anyway, we're getting off the subject. The point is. <laughs> so here you have this guy who is, you know, he's a questionable. Okay, this must be a children's movie. Let's just start there. Um, Labyrinth is well, was sure, the yeah. Jim, Hansen, Jim Hansen puppet. It, it was supposed to be a kid's movie, remember? Right. In our day, kid's movies were fucking traumatic. Um, of course. Like, think about the never-ending story and all kinds because of shit. Because like, our generation could handle it. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, so they asked David Bowie, who, you at the time, he's an older man. 
he's he was an artist who was a known you know he did drugs and he slept with men and women and whatever but they were like be the fucking lead character in this kid okay Okay. um and he brings sexuality to a puppet movie (laughs) so i mean as i'm explaining it you know it's a little girl who's still in school i'm assuming she was a high she was supposed to be high school age and there's this sexual being Jareth, who's the Goblin King, who's oh, Goblin what? <laughs> she Sorry, was Goblin King. Um, and and it it sounds fucking totally inappropriate and completely perverse, but somehow it wasn't. <laughs> somehow it still stands the test of time. My three year old niece has seen this movie many many times. We sing Dance Magic Dance all the time when that song comes on in the movie. Um, it's, and then the songs he did for it charted as well. And just like, he can literally, he could do anything. Like who the fuck is that successful as an older man in a kid's movie being sexualizing this puppet movie? I don't know, but he made it, nobody had a problem with it. <laughs> I don't know if it was. Uh, that's the <laughs> I know. I don't know if it was a sign of the times. I don't know if you could get away with that, with that now. Like if David Hasselhoff, since we were talking David about Hasselhoff, like, oh my if God. he did a kids movie where he was being romantic with a teenager, <laughs> like his package was hanging out while he's holding a baby and playing with puppets. I don't think you'd get away with it today. Oh my God. <laughs> as, not as you describe it. Can that be the next header for this episode? <laughs> His package hanging out while yeah. he dances with puppets. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh my. My favorite. My favorite part of the movie is when he says, um, "I'm gonna have to watch this fucking movie." <laughs> dances with the puppets. It's like a cross between Kevin Costner and Metallica. <laughs> dances with puppets packages. <laughs> dances with. Oh my god, but his like when you watch the movie, Jenny, you're gonna see it as you'll see it as oh, you know, I think obviously women picked up on different things mm-hmm. in this movie, but I just remember being like, Oh my god, this oh I want my <laughs> to be Sarah because when he would say her name, he would say, Sarah. Oh so I can't even try to put the clip in. Mm-hmm. Sarah, beware. See what I mean? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I need to change my pants. Give me a second. (laughs) JK? (laughs) Anyway, you'll see what I mean when you watch the movie. (laughs) We're going to have to circle back on this at some point. For sure. Um, We should do it with the PG girls. And I love that it's PG, but our show is definitely not PG. No, Um, it's not. With the PG girls and see how they feel about Jareth. Can They're I probably going to say who? Please? I've never seen that movie. They better not. <laughs> every little kid saw, every generation of kids sees Labyrinth. They would have been fetuses I, when I that didn't. movie I, came I, like, out. Sometimes, like, no, when I... I think I... it was the uh, Guillermo del Toro, like, Pan's Labyrinth, like the newer one. Babe, I love when you fake your Spanish words. Oh. But um, <laughs> when, when, whenever way. someone says, you didn't see, blah, 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 like, I get this from Matt so much. My excuse is, I was raised by foreigners. I don't know. When have I ever said that, though? That, that, that happens a lot, especially when you're with your brothers and you guys are talking about your freaking movies. Make you feel like an asshole. 
Well, it's one of the, it's considered <laughs> one of the classics now. It's considered a classic movie. You know, like, it's just like when I, Wizard of Oz, we were like, okay, so I said to, to my, to Kelly, I'm going to get, for, we're gonna, I'm going to show Violet, Wizard of Oz, The Sound of Music, and Labyrinth. Mm. I put them all in the same category. Now, here's the one problem. So she loved all of these movies. Okay. Right? She got a little scared at points by Wizard of Oz. Fine, Wizard we all of Oz did. Wizard is sick. Yeah. And that was we, about a whole different topic altogether. Exactly. We all did. Right. However, with Sound of Music, believe it or not, um, after I moved to Washington, Kelly said she had to stop showing it to Violet because the one. The part that Violet was wanting to walk around and recreate was Heil Hitler. <laughs> not the beautiful songs. Oh my gosh. Not, you know, what I used to run around singing, I am 16, 16 going, going on, on 17. No, it was Heil Hitler. Like, that's what? not appropriate for a little blonde haired, blue eyed white girl to be running around and singing right now. God, I can't breathe. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. That just proves the point no. that little kids always pick up on the most inappropriate things and always. anything. Always. Why? Why that Nazi Germany part of the fucking movie? All the songs. And I would sing them. And every time the songs came on, she would start singing them with me. Do a dear. You know, all of the. But no, Heil Hitler is what oh, she comes away with. I don't yeah. even remember that being in the movie. I'm sure it had to be oh, at no, some exactly. point, but that's end, funny. Towards the end. No, it's it's when they first the first guy drives up to tell him like whatever. Oh, okay, sure, hi. sure. It's just then a when quick the boyfriend, yeah. the boyfriend, no, 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 when the boyfriend comes with the letter, remember the bike messenger kid? He says it too after he delivers it. Yeah. And then it happens in the whole entire end scene mm-hmm. with the Nazi flags everywhere. I am proud to say I am old enough to know when um, when I rented that from Blockbuster, that video was two VHS's long, bitches. So oh, it took me a long fucking time to watch that shit. You're old. But That's yeah, old awesome ish. movie. I love how it's like Wizard of Oz, Sound of Music, Labyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they go. That's. Labyrinth, I have to watch, though. I gotta watch it. There's no, like, I I, I have to go back and see that one to see if I really did see it or not. I honestly can't remember if I've seen that movie. Sound of Music? No, no. No, The Labyrinth. Oh, oh, All you guys have to see Labyrinth. Sound of Music, I've seen, like, umpteen That's my takeaway. And I'm sorry, you mentioned Wizard of Oz, but I think to all the people that have seen the movie, read the book. No, Wizard of Oz is about populism. Yes, Yes. it is. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I also, love that whole story. It, it gets my juices flowing. I love history. Is, like, yeah. that is so cool. I love that whole freaking story. So when they get a little bit older, I add to it E.T., The NeverEnding Story, and Poltergeist. However, I still get scared by Poltergeist. Yes. Yeah, that's, that yeah, shit. Yeah, that and Pet Cemetery are the only two movies that still scare I can't, me. I can't watch scary movies I like that. I haven't anyway. seen anything like it. We, we have, we have <laughs> digressed. We have digressed <laughs> completely, you guys. Let's pull it back. Oh, sorry. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Back on rails. Um, so I appreciate you guys spending the time tonight to talk about the legend of David Bowie. I'm glad that we finally did this. And um, I guess this means we'll have to move on to our other legends that we have lost. Damn mm-hmm. it. <laughs> I didn't cry. I made it through this without you crying. You did good, so. Mama. You did good. Thank you. Yes. And thank All you right. to the uh, Metal Rock and Whiskey crew for uh, 
letting me cross over and be a part of this because I love me some David Bowie. And uh, I guess I like your show. I, I freaking listen to it every week, twice a week, once on Mondays and then on Wednesdays, Whiskey Wednesday. So thank you very much. I love you guys. And I guess you, I Jenny. love Matthew as well. It's Whiskey Monday. We love you too, and you are welcome. Also, whiskey anytime. Wednesday. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. All right. And now, if our listeners, hopefully they love this show too, <laughs> and uh, they'll join us again next week <laughs> where we will have another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. I'll let you read this. Oh, you're so cute. I know. Okay. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so to all of our listeners, our fellow metal rock and whiskey obsessors, we value your opinions and your feedback. Please follow us on Instagram at metal rock whiskey. Send us your love, your likes, and please share your thoughts, reviews, questions, suggestions, concerns, and comments about the show. You can also follow us on Instagram individually. You can follow me at rumderwoman247. Maddie boy. You can find me at the whiskey obsessor. That is whiskey. Save the E. Fuck the E. I'm sorry. That's a- we stole the E. Yeah, I stole it from you, bitch. Save it. <laughs> Save it. Sorry, continue. Yeah, and they can Word. find me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at Bourbon Geek on Instagram. <laughs> Sailor, where can they find you? They can find me all over the internets as Sailor Retro. And you can now find us on Twitter, Metal Rock and Whiskey. You can also find me on Twitter as Sailor Retro. And on Spotify, I'm going to be making some playlists about some of the shows that we have put out in the past couple of weeks. There was something else I want to say, and now I forgot. Patreon. Patreon. Oh yeah. Also, um, you can find Pretty Good for a Girl, our sister podcast, on Instagram as Pretty Good for a Girl. Easy to find. And we are on Patreon. Please find Metal Rock and Whiskey on Patreon and help us out. We would love your support, and you get lots and lots of super fun goodies and handwritten letters. And sometimes I just put weird things in the packages and send them out to our Patreon. So you never know what you're gonna get. Sailor puts right. pictures of her feet. Just kidding. <laughs> My boobs. <laughs> Whatever gets us subscribers. All right. Well, this was a ton of fun, guys. And I hope all you listeners enjoyed it as much as we did. But now my glass is getting empty. And it's time to go. Be sure to tip your waitress. And we are out. I love you, David Bowie. Fuck you, Lars. Later, everyone. (laughs) Ground control to major tongue. You really.